know, a lot of times I uh, uh, tell stories about my family. I tell stories uh, about me <laughs> most of the time, kind of share my life experience, kind of what things are happening and going on in my life. But today, I want to kind of tell a story about Krista. And uh, don't worry, it's a good story. Oftentimes when pastors tell stories about their wives, it often makes them, you know, fear and concerned and you wonder what's going to happen when the family gets home. But I want to brag on Krista this morning. I don't get a chance to do that enough uh, on a Sunday morning. I want to brag a little bit about just uh, how amazing she is. Uh, A lot of you know that she's employed at the Wilmot Cancer Institute at Strong Memorial Hospital where she is a clinical trial manager. Uh, And she has all sorts of people that work for her and all sorts of people that she works with. And they currently study uh, how they can help people who are under uh, some treatments for cancer, how remission can be better. One of the studies that they're doing that she's uh, a part of is that they they are looking at lymphoma treatments. And uh, they're researching whether the treatment can help with a longer Uh, remission time. They're doing some research to see whether they can make uh, the remission last a little bit longer when it comes to lymphoma. Now, for this kind of a particular study, they're doing what is called a double-blind placebo. Have you ever uh, heard of a placebo study before? Raise your hand if you have. Uh, Absolutely. The the way that um, uh, placebo studies work is that uh, one group One control group is given a medication, and the other group is given something that isn't a medication. It's just a pill of some form. It doesn't really have anything medicinal in it. And then they compare and contrast the results to see, you know, rather than just psychologically, but physiologically, is there a real difference with the group that... Uh, got the real medicine versus the group that didn't. What were the benefits? And so they're evaluating uh, whether there's a longer remission for lymphoma. And the way that they're doing it is that one group is, after they're finished all of their chemo, is getting a treatment of vitamin D. That's it. And they're studying to see if vitamin D will have an effect on uh, the length of remission time. And then... The other group gets nothing, some kind of other, you know, I hope it's a cool sugar pill or something like that. That would be kind of neat. But neither the doctor knows which group, which person's in which group, whether they're getting the medicine or not. And the patient doesn't know. And they follow them for a number of months and years in order to see how vitamin D can help with the remission time of lymphoma. And what this does is it allows the study to see if the actual medication really works or not. In other words, that's kind of a long brag to say that my wife does a a whole lot of important research and is a part of that, Uh, but some of the research that they're doing gives people a pill that won't actually do anything for them. That's how the research works. That's how placebos work. Placebos have no therapeutic effect. And so this study allows them to determine if the real medicine is making a difference. This is important for us as Christians. Not because, you know, you may have to one day face, you know, uh, cancer in your family. That's not my point. Uh, But I bring this up because of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks 
the nature of faith in Jesus Christ. That we have a God who is all-powerful and that Jesus is God, very God, and that the power of His Word has power over the natural world, the supernatural world. And this power is available to you. And this power is activated to you and in you through faith in Jesus Christ. Through having faith that He can do what He says He's going to do. That He is who He is and that He is going to do what He says He's going to do. And that the fast track to faith, to deep faith, is to serve. It's to get into environments and situations where God pushes you into the deep end of the pool where you come to the end of your rope so quickly and you wonder how on earth could I ever do what God is asking me to do and we learn that it was God who was going to do all the work in the first place. We have to bring what we have to Him. So in light of that, how do we know that our faith is working? Is it when God shows up in power or is it something more? I think when it comes to the development of our faith and the growth of our faith, we need to know that there will be times, you and I need to understand this, that there's real medicine and there's placebo medicines for growing our faith. And the things that we think are real medicine are so convincing We will think we have a strong faith when in reality, we don't. There are actual medicines that grow our faith. And there are placebo methods that do nothing for our faith at all. I was reading just a week or two ago in the New York Times that there's a concern now that one of the bridges going out of uh, New York City, the new one that was uh, built, uh, may have some bad rivets. And they're not sure how far they used those bad rivets throughout the whole bridge. And so they're concerned that whether they're rusting early or whether they were, there was a defect in the manufacturing or maybe worse if there was like a, a purchasing thing went bad and they just kind of went on the cheap versus what they needed to buy. And so there's a concern that the rivets holding the bridge together aren't strong aren't going to hold the weight of all the vehicles that travel back and forth uh, across the river every day. Imagine if the faith that they place in those rivets proves out to be a placebo. What will happen? Massive damage. Uh, loss of life, potentially. It's, it's, it's a horrific cost. And the same is true with our faith. If we put our faith in something that is only a placebo, and we never have genuine faith, we never check to see, is this medication that we're taking as a way to grow our faith, to make it healthy, if we don't check if it's real, one day it all collapses, and we find out that the whole time, everything we've lived for has been faulty. So we need to make sure that we have a healthy faith, That the medicine that we're taking is good. And let's face it, there's a lot of options on how we can help our faith in Christ grow, right? There's tons of them. There's so many different ways. How can we be sure our faith is growing? How can we make sure 
that what we're doing with our lives is helping our faith? How do we guard against a placebo faith? Well, if you have your Bible with you, turn with me in them to Mark chapter 7. And if you're watching online or if you didn't bring your Bible today, that's all right. We're going to have this, uh, verses on the screen for you so you can follow along. Um, but let's take a look at something that Jesus teaches us about how to ensure, how to make sure that what we're putting our faith in is not a placebo medicine, but the actual medicine. We're going to take the temperature of our faith this morning. So let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7 and we'll take a look at the first verse together. We read in verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, that the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as the, the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? I don't think anyone today would argue against the washing of hands, right? Especially after the last year that we've been through. We have sung happy birthday to ourselves twice over and over and over and over and over again that now when someone says, hey, it's our birthday, and someone says we should sing happy birthday, you immediately have this inward response that just says, no, I'm sick of that song. <laughs> so awful. We have reminders on our apps, on our watches, on our phones that tell us, hey, did you really wash your hands for that 20 seconds or are you cheating? Come on, keep it up, keep it going. We understand the point of having clean hands when it goes to eat. We understand that well, but that's not quite what they were doing back in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, we know from uh, uh, smarter people than I am that what they were bringing to Jesus, what the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, was actually a really smart question. This is a legitimate, why aren't they doing this? This is a common sense practice. And let me tell you why. This was a long established practice. This was something that had seen generations of people go through, and it had been a helpful thing for all of those generations. It was based in two areas of theology. The one was that this was the practice of the priests. This was the practice of the Levites. This is what Aaron and his sons would do back when they first instituted the temple. Before they would offer any sacrifices, they would go through a ceremonial washing of their hands and feet before they would offer sacrifices. So there was a symbolic thing that was happening that as they washed their hands, they were remembering that this is what God had provided for them as a system of forgiveness payment for sins that this is what they would this is what the priests would do is they would wash their hands but not only that this was a ritual separation from a pagan society 
This was a sign that said, remember who we are and remember who we are to the world. This is something that you and I are to do. This is not just something that's for priests. This is something that's helpful for everyone. Because it's a demonstration that, hey, listen, I'm not sure where that food came from. I'm not sure where that, well, how it got to the marketplace. Not a sanitary issue, but a worship issue. That this may have been offered to some other god or some other pagan uh, believer. And so by washing their hands, they were distancing themselves from that practice, from that pagan ritual and saying, no, let's, as we wash our hands, let's remember that we are the people of God and that we have a witness to the world. This was an act of worship. This was an act of witness. And the reason they did that, the reason especially they did that with food from the marketplace was because they associated that since it came from a bad place where bad things happened, that they needed to distance themselves from that. They needed to be holy, right? And that's what they did. So it was a common practice that everyone did, young and old. There was a ceremonial washing of hands to remember the sacrificial system and to remember that they had a witness to the world of being set apart. Separate yourselves from the bad things. That's good common sense, right? Would you tell that to your children? Of course you would. Hang out with good friends. Not bad friends. Hang out with the good kids, not the bad kids. You would teach them that. You would teach them to distance themselves from bad situations, from bad environments. You would withdraw from those things. I remember when we went to uh, Myanmar, uh, when I was, uh, when I'm part of one of the trips I made uh, as a part of Crosstalk Global, we made a, a trip to Myanmar, and our uh, guides, our hosts for the two weeks that we were there said, don't drink bottled water from street vendors. Don't buy it, don't drink it. And of course, you understand why you wouldn't drink tap water right, from another country, you would, you know, the bacteria in that water may disagree with you, and apparently Montezuma's revenge is more for a trip, you know, uh, south of the American border, but this is a universal thing, so uh, you don't want that to happen when you are uh, on the clock and serving God overseas. But this is bottled water. Bottled water is supposed to be purified, right? That's on every bottle. Why would we not buy bottled water? Why is it not safe from a street vendor? And this is what we were told. Because there are counterfeit bottle cap machines. Counterfeit bottle cap machines. And here's what they'd do. They'd take an old bottle, fill it with tap water, and reseal it so that that seal around the cap, when you turned it, it wasn't cracked. You'd then crack it. You would think it was fresh. It wasn't. Because they were using machines to recap used water bottles, which I'm sure they cleaned, but then they just filled them with tap water. They didn't go through the purification process. And so they told us it would be wise for you to distance yourself from bottled water that street vendors sell. Make sure it's only from reputable restaurants. Make sure it's only from uh, stores that have the license to carry those bottled water. Don't buy it from a street vendor. 
protect yourself from evil things in the world. Is that not common sense to us as Christians? Say amen. Of course it is. Protect yourself from those things. Set up safeguards. Set up guardrails so that you don't wander into sin. It makes total sense. What doesn't make sense is Jesus' response at first glance. Look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. (laughs) As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that means devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their mother or father, father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This seems shocking, but Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue, the heart of faith. He reveals what the heart of faith is does to us. And Jesus describes it this way. There was an ancient practice called korban. I've not heard of that practice being used much today. Not many people say, oh, that gift is, is korban. It's dedicated to the Lord and it cannot be, be touched. But back then, people could declare that property, that resources, that land could be used only for God's purposes, which went into the back pocket of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This was in their realm of purview. This is giving a gift to the Lord. It comes into what was the church at that time, and they would have then had control over that gift, much like we see that today. Once you give a gift to your local church, then that becomes, belongs to the local church. But here's what they did with that. They said that an oath given to God for those gifts could not then be used if a need developed in their own family. They could not change their mind. We don't have that rule today. People can change their mind up to the point where they give the gift. But they were saying that if they've made an oath, That the right thing to do was to honor the oath. And what Jesus is talking about here was the cultural practice that prevented parents from being helped in a time of need. It effectively ended up being a curse by the children on their parents. And the religious rulers of the day were helping them do it. It was an exemption 
a religious exemption that allowed parents to be defrauded by their children, where they could be dishonored, and it was all legal. But it wasn't moral. It was just legal. Real faith. Or placebo faith. We know all in our culture today about the inequality of wealth. And we've seen that businesses have every legal right to pay whatever they can get away with paying. And we don't often see that used as a way to help their employees, do we? As a matter of fact, some of the major discussions in our world today are about what we would call the 1%. When there are so many who are struggling. Businesses buy other businesses, close down areas, put people out of work, don't pay them a living wage, let alone a minimum wage. They look for ways to cut costs by cutting what their employees might gain. This is common practice. You might see a place that says this is what the industry standard is for a person in your line of work, regardless of whether that standard provides you with a living wage in the area in which you live. All legal but is it moral? That's what Jesus is talking about here. And what he's saying is, real faith deals with the heart. Placebo faith deals with habits. Real faith is all about the heart. Placebo faith is all about habits. The Pharisees, he challenged them and harshly because they had a placebo faith and were giving other people the opportunity to have a placebo faith. It was all external, but nothing internal was happening. They were able to hurt other people in the name of God. They were able to hurt their own family in their in the way that they would be cared for in their elder years. Like a child who obeys and does the chores that they're asked to do, but all the time they grumble and they complain under their breath. Sure, they get the job done, but what's the heart behind it? It isn't there. And Jesus comes right after that and says that real faith deals with internal matters of the heart, of your heart, of my heart. Because here's what we do. We try to protect ourselves from the evil out there and forget about the source of the evil that affects us the most. Let me show you what that means in the next few verses. 
Take a look at verse 14. Jesus again called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The heart of faith is your heart. And we spend a lot of time saying, look at all of the evil that's out there. And, well, my experience is, both personally and professionally, that I really wouldn't want to spend a whole lot of time looking at the evil in here, in my own heart. I want to look for the evil that's out there. I want to look for the society, the problems in society that other people's hearts are causing and not focus on mine. First of all, my heart can't be that bad, right? It's, it's really the things that are out there. Those are the things that make me evil, right? And Jesus says, that's not true at all. You can eat anything you want. As long as it's food. And it's good. You can eat that and enjoy that. But once your body processes that, what does it become? Waste. It's excrement. It becomes uneditable. Unedible. You can't eat that. When you're done with your food, you visit the bathroom and there it goes. It has no purpose, no value. And Jesus says, that's your heart. You can take anything that's out in the world, good things, and you and I can make it evil. And it's the natural thing that we do. You know, there used to be a saying in church, a turn of phrase that was really popular in the church when I was growing up. It was uh, garbage in, garbage out. Have you heard of that? If you grew up in church, do you remember that statement being kind of tossed around? Oh, it was super popular. Like Christian uh, bands were making songs about, about it. And it was a reference to how computers just starting to become popular as personal home computers. Uh, people were just starting to buy them to put them in the home. Uh, computers have a nature that it's, they can only produce what they're programmed to produce, Right? So whatever code you give them, whatever program you run on them, that's the program that will be produced. That's the program that will run. That's what's output. If you put garbage into a computer, guess what you will get out of it? If you get garbage code, what do you get? Garbage results. And the turn of phrase was used as a way to say, this is your life. 
If you put garbage into your life, you will produce garbage. And Jesus says, actually, that's not true at all. You can produce garbage all by yourself. You don't need help. We're not computers. We're able to produce garbage and filth on our own because that's what we desire. We're not computers. We're producers. So what Jesus is saying is this. Stop worrying about what's out there and the evil that's out there. And rather, look at the evil that is within you. If you're going to evaluate your faith. Don't settle for a placebo. Focus on the internal, the real medicine, because that's where God wants to work. He wants to transform our desires. The disciplines that he gives us to do that are a means to an end. They are not the end. God is interested in changing our heart's desires, our heart's devotions, not our habits, The habits look good, don't they? I mean, let's face it, how many times have you said, have you heard me say, have you said to other people, it's good to be in church? We heard it this morning. We testified to that this morning, and that is absolutely true. But to what end? To what end do we go to church? Do we invite others to church? Do we give to church? What is our motive behind those things? Why do we serve? Why do we get involved in a growth group? Why do we do those things? That is what makes the difference. It's not that habits don't help. You'd never hear me say, yeah, it doesn't matter if you read your Bible or not. I think it matters. You never hear me say, you know, you should pray. You should pray regularly. Get into the habit of prayer. Because I think it helps. But those things are not signs that you have genuine faith. Those things are tools to help you develop genuine faith. They're not to give you habits that say, look, I have genuine faith because I serve in four ministries and I give to all of these uh, different Christian organizations and I give to my church and I invite people regularly. It is a transformed heart. Are we wrestling with the evil in our own lives? And I recognize that this is so hard and it's so much easier To just say, I've done my good deeds for the day, I've done my disciplines for the day, I've checked off the list instead of wrestling through. Why is it that these sins are so attractive to me? Why do I desire these things? I know, it's easier to yell at the world and the evil that's there than look at myself and maybe yell at myself the way Jesus is yelling at the Pharisees and say, you hypocrite. It is easier to yell, get off my lawn, evil stuff, than it is to consider that maybe it's us that's producing the, the excrement that's ruining our lives. I avoid this sin 
is not what Jesus is after. I didn't do bad things is not what Jesus is after. What he's after is, so why is this sin so attractive to you in the first place? That's what deals with the deep medicine of genuine faith. Real medicine, real faith. Stops asking about, well, I'm glad I avoided that, versus why was it even attractive to me in the first place? Real faith goes beyond the, I didn't click that link on my phone. I didn't go to that website. I installed that, that accountability software, so now I, I can't go to those websites. But does it deal with the desire that makes us think, gosh, I want to go look at that website? Or the old saying, the old uh, Billy Graham rule, I don't travel anywhere with another woman, so therefore I'm not tempted by any other women. The real disconnect in logic there. Real faith goes beyond those things. Real faith goes beyond the gossip and slander that churches often describe as, uh, disguise as prayer requests. Real churches, uh, real faith goes right through our desire to look good to others and to not fear about what will people think if I don't do this thing and gets right to actually being good with God. And the question that I think has been the most helpful to me as I've wrestled with the attitudes of my own heart is, why did I want this anyways? Why did I want this? Really? Why is this such a desire to me? Why is it that when I look at that, I think, oh, maybe I should click that? Why is it that I think that? Why is it that I think when I hear someone sharing some news about this is what's happening in my life, that I think, gosh, i got to go tell these other people? Why do I think that? Why do I want that? And Jesus says that's genuine faith. That's genuine healthy faith. When you stop looking at the evil that's out there and say, what if that's me? What, why am I the source of this? It changes my desires from ungodly to godly. And I think just as a way to kind of give us another way to wrestle with this, is not only this question of, you know, why do I want this really, but it's to recognize that I think one of the best tests for our faith to consider whether it's genuine or not is our relationships. You'll notice that these things that Jesus lists that come from our own hearts all affect someone else. Sexual immorality, it's not a private thing, even if you don't know the person. Theft, you're stealing from someone or something. Murder, pretty obvious. Adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy slander, arrogance, folly, all of these things are in the realm of relationships. They show up in the way that we feel about others. So how do we really feel about others? 
What do we really want from others? What do we desire from them? What do we desire for them? What is their value to us when we get what we want? And what is their value to us when we don't get what we want? Habits are a good thing, right? Develop some good spiritual disciplines, but they will never be genuine faith on their own. That is a placebo faith. Changing your habits is not strong faith. It's not healthy faith. It's not genuine faith. It's not the real medicine because habits don't change the heart. There needs to be one extra step, one extra connection. So don't settle for outward things that don't change the heart. And don't settle for anything less that's not the real medicine. Let's ask Jesus together for the kind of faith that changes our hearts, our desires, our motivations, our relationships. Real faith doesn't just change habits. It doesn't just change habits. It changes our hearts. I want to give you some questions to think about some questions that you might discuss in your growth group this week or something that you can journal about or talk about uh, with people that are close to you. Here they are. First off, what is a habit that you've found helpful to you in your life? Kind of an icebreaker. What is something that you think everyone should do? What is a habit that you've found helpful to you in your life? Question two, in what ways do you see Christians today choose a placebo faith? That is, focusing on their habits versus their heart issues. And if you really want to go deep with this, this is kind of an option. You can go to the personal part of this question, and that is, in what ways do you choose a placebo faith? For example, if you were to ask yourself, why do I want this really about your religious habits and practices, what does that reveal about your desires? And the third question, what are some ways to help us have the kind of faith that changes our heart? Real faith doesn't focus on the evil out there as much as it focuses on the evil in here. Real faith doesn't just change habits, it changes our hearts. With Jesus' help, you and I can be sure that we've not settled for a placebo, but that we're getting the real medicine our faith needs. Let's pray together. Jesus, I ask that you would speak now in this moment, that you would give us wisdom, help us to hear not just with our ears, not just with our minds to agree, but that we would give you access to our hearts. And would you help us to see the motivations? Would you help us to see the desires that are there? And if they don't line up with the desires that you have, may you point those out to us. And would you help us to develop those attitudes? Do whatever you need to do in our lives. Would you help us to stop focusing on the externals of faith, the habits of faith, which are great tools, but they are a means to an end. 
The end is we want our heart to be transformed by you, and so we offer our hearts to you for your sanctifying, for your transformation. Through the power of your word and the power of your spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.